Good morning. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing in us and through your body here at the Rock. Thank you for all you're doing in Castle Rock, Lord. We just ask that you would give ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us, Lord. Pray that you would open your word right now. That you, Holy Spirit, would do what you love to do and testify to the glory and greatness of Jesus and shape us and conform us and mold us, Lord, into your image. We love you and we worship you. Amen and amen. Good. Well, we're going to jump right in. This is kind of part two of Mike's message last week, Compelled by Love. And we were encouraged last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that the love of Christ compels us, it pushes us forth, it controls us to not see others the way we would see them by our flesh, but to see them by the Spirit. And Paul says, even as I didn't see Jesus, the Messiah, by the Spirit, but I saw him by the flesh, and I was part of the crowd that stood against him, but now I see him by the Spirit, and I respond to him as Lord and as Master. Paul beckons us to see others with the eyes of the Spirit, knowing that we are ministers of reconciliation. We are those God has sent into the earth, and through us, through the Holy Spirit in us, it's as if God is pleading with men to accept his forgiveness, to accept his righteousness, to accept his free gift of salvation. And through us, the ministers of reconciliation, the gospel is going forth in the earth. And so, this is kind of going to be part two. I've titled it Perfected Love. And you'll see what that means in a minute. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I love the book of 1 John. He's writing it to a church that's in Ephesus that is kind of waging war against those who are rising up and saying, Jesus is not the Son of God. We haven't sinned. We don't need his atonement. We don't need uh, Jesus to love the Father. And that's basically what they're saying. And they have separated themselves from this community that John is writing to. And there's a real war going on in the spirit in Ephesus. And there's this false doctrine, this false gospel saying that God is a God of love without his son, without Jesus. And you don't really need forgiveness. And John is writing and making clear the gospel that he preached to them. And... We're going to pick it up right at verse 7, okay? Here we go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So this phrase, love comes from God, this is going to be explained in some of the verses to follow, but it says, and everyone that loves is born of God. Now, we have been born of God by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit giving us God's DNA, that we are children of God. 
But John is saying everyone who loves is proving they are children of God. Everyone who loves is proving they are born of the Spirit. They are born of God. And they are proving through their love that they know Him. That there's an intimate relationship between them and God through the Son by the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, he says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if the positive is true, the negative is also true. Anyone who is not demonstrating love is not demonstrating that they know God, that they are a part of God. And then John says one of the most wonderful statements in the New Testament, God is love. I have had uh, seasons in my life where this chapter has really touched me, really blessed me. I remember one time when I was Kind of the first time John, 1 John 4 was unfolding to me, I was 19 years old, and I was just wrapped up in this idea of loving others, and God loves me, and through the love he showed me, he's going to empower me to love others. And I remember, I was a part of an internship at that time, I remember going back home and talking to one of my best friends, and I was just caught up in this chapter. And it was one of the, like the only chapters of the Bible that I knew at that time, or that the Lord was speaking to me through at that time. And I just remember such a precious season. How many of you guys have had precious seasons of encountering the love of God? Where God is love means something to you. Lord, we just pray for an awakening of that season in all of our lives. That you are love. Holy Spirit, right now, just reveal to us the love of the Father. The love of God. I pray that you would take us out of those caves in the Spirit. Take us out of the hardness of our hearts. Soften our hearts right now to the love of God in Jesus' name. So John says, God is love. Now that's a huge statement. And the next verses are going to unfold what this means. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. So John says, God is love. And then he's going to start explaining what that means. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. There's two things that the world tries to to redefine. And we feel the weight as believers, as those who love God, as those who are his children, we feel the weight of this in a culture that is fueled by an anti-Jesus spirit. It doesn't take too far to see that we live in a culture that is fueled by an anti-Jesus spirit, right? You know what John just said in chapter 4? He said, though the anti-Christ spirit is alive and well in the earth, he says this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He says, little children, you have already overcome that spirit. Because you've put your faith in the one who overcame that spirit. We put our faith in the overcomer and we have the grace to overcome the spirit of the world. The spirit of the Antichrist. Now I say that and people go, oh, Antichrist. And you're like, oh no, I can't listen to that. No. There is an anti-Jesus spirit. It's called the devil and his demons. And they're at war with God's plan. 
Now, this will manifest in the last days as one called the Antichrist, who will actually wage war against heaven. But there are two kingdoms. There are two sides, and there is no other. Did you guys know that? There is darkness, and there is light. And we can't ride that fence. Amen? Okay, so that's a little tangent. Let's go back to this. In this, God is love. Now, I think in our culture, the spirit of the world tries to redefine what love is. But we have to get our definition from what the Lord says love is. And our culture tries to redefine God is love. Now, how many of you in witnessing and talking to others that has been thrown in your face as an accusation against not is an accusation against the Lord and a defense of not believing in God. How could a God of love? That's how the sentence starts. And then fill in the blank with how it ends, right? John is telling us how God is love. It's this definition that he, in his love, manifested it among us through the sending of his only son. The, the biggest one that I, that I get is in the time of natural disasters. How can a God of love cause this to happen? And the question is wrong. The God of love before the disaster sent his son so that people could put his, their faith in him and believe in the one and only son and come into relationship with him. And after the disaster, God is still love. And hopefully there's a bold church coming in saying, Jesus Christ has made a way of escape. And those who died didn't know him. Their fate is determined. But those who are alive that, that have a, a season of amnesty, you have a choice to make. Are you going to agree in the love of God that he sent for you called his son, Jesus Christ? Guys, God is love. And he is to be known by this act of sending his son. This is what we are called to preach. This is what we are called to testify to. And this is what the Holy Spirit loves to back up with power and signs and wonders. God is love. And he sent his son so that you could put your faith in him. When I think of God doing this, I think of the father heart of God. God is a father. It says in Ephesians 3 that Every person in heaven and earth, everything in heaven and earth has driven its character and its nature from the Father who has made them through the Son. Now, the devil tries to be a father. And Jesus actually testifies the devil is a father. He's the father of lies, he's the father of a murderous spirit, he's the father of rebellion. And he's addressing that in John 8. He tries to be a father, he wants to be a father. But there is only one Father. In 1 Peter, I mean in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, there is one God. There's only one. There's one God, our Savior. And he desires all to come to the saving knowledge of the truth of his Son. Paul's declaring this in Ephesus where there are many gods to be worshipped. And he boldly tells Timothy, Timothy, remember, there's only one. And if there's only one God, there's only one mediator. 
There's only one that comes between us and God and brings us into that family relationship that he desires. And in 1 Timothy, he says that it pleases God that intercession arises for every culture, for every person, that intercession arises before the throne, that they would put their faith in God, their Savior, and the one mediator, Jesus Christ, who was sent for them. Paul says, this is pleasing to the Father for you to cry out for all people and for leaders in high places that they would know the one and only God. Amen? He's a saving father. He's a patient father. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says that some count God to be slow. Some count God to be slack. Well, we can just read it instead of me trying to remember the scripture. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Now, that promise there is the sending of his son. And in northern Israel at that time, there was this accusation that Jesus isn't coming back, that this is false doctrine. And Peter is writing, and he's saying, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of sending his son, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the Lord is a saving father. The Lord is a patient father, wanting a large family. Amen? Let's keep going. Back to verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Let's just concentrate on this phase, this phrase, the only son. As I was studying this, as I was looking at scriptures about the one and only son, I love the NIV, how it calls it the one and only son. The New King James says the begotten of the father. That's a little hard for me to understand. I don't know about you guys. I like the one and only son. There's only, there was only one at his side. And there's only one who ascended and as a man sits at the Father's right hand waiting for the nations to be given to him. The one and only son, it says in John, has a unique role of bearing the glory of God and revealing the glory of God to us. I don't have the scriptures on the screen, but I'm just going to read this. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then it says in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the only son, the one and only son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father, he has made him known. Say hallelujah. The son, the one and only came to reveal the Father's glory to us and so that we might walk with the Father in that same glory. And then it says in John 3.16 that he's the bearer of salvation. It said this is love in just a different way in John 3.16. We all know it. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son and whoever believes in him should not perish but has everlasting life. And it says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
But he says there's a serious consequence if you don't put your faith in the one and only son who can bring you into a relationship with the father. It goes on in John 3.16. We don't know verse 17, 18, 19, and 20 as well as we know 3.16. But he said he didn't send the son into the world to condemn the world. But this is how the condemnation works. Light has come. And if men don't put their faith in that light, they remain in darkness. That's how the condemnation works. It was the love of the Father that wants everyone to accept the free gift of salvation through his Son. Amen? It says, but men's darkness, because they love their dark deeds, keeps them from accepting his Son. Let's move on. Verse 10. It says, this is love. He hits it again. I'm going to use the NIV here because I like the translation a little bit better. It says, this is love. Now remember, we're still on this thing. God is love. And the definition is coming from verse 9 and verse 10. Again, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. Let's stop right there for a second. Not that we have loved God. Guys, this didn't originate in our hearts. This originated in the heart of the Father on his throne. We did not love him. He loved us. There was an overflow of his heart in creation. There was a delight in his heart in Proverbs chapter 8. And it says the Father and the Son were delighting day after day, informing the world, and their delight was in the sons of men. He loved us first. Now, this is actually freeing to me because if God loved me first before I loved him, that means I can give my love freely to others before they show love to me. A lot of the time, we wait for someone to love us before we love them. We wait for them to treat us well for, you guys understand it, right? But that's not the love of God that was showed toward us. While we were enemies, while we were sinners, while we were in rebellion, that's when he reached out and loved us through his son. And this gives us grace to do this to others, amen? So not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent its son, it says, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This phrase, the atoning sacrifice, has just been ministering to me this week. I've just been returning to that place of, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus, that there was power in the sacrifice, in your perfect sacrifice that washed me clean before the throne of God. That now I can gain entrance. I have access. And I have a history of that access. I have a history of that entrance. I have a history in God. And that would not have happened without the atoning sacrifice of his son. This causes, us to, this causes me to think of the Passover to where the firstborn of all Egypt was going to be killed. Anyone who dwelled, the firstborn was going to be killed. But those who took the lamb and were obedient to the commands 
and slayed the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts of the house and then dwelt in the shelter of the blood, they were saved. Guys, he was the lamb. I mean, Paul says it. He says it. Uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter something, 7. I think it's chapter 7. He says, the Christ, our Passover. Don't you love the writers of the New Testament where they say, in some place it says, so I'm going to start doing that, okay? In some place it is quoted. (laughs) Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has come. It's that clear in Paul's theology. Jesus was that substitution, that atoning sacrifice that brings us into relationship with the Father where we have to fear death no more. Hallelujah. It's that picture of the high priest on the Day of Atonement. They would take two sheep or two goats and they would slay one and they would sprinkle the blood on the altar and on the people as the people repented of their sins. And then they would take the other goat as the people are repenting and they would confess the sins of the people upon that goat and they would drive the goat into the wilderness. That's where we get the term scapegoat. Jesus, have you ever been a scapegoat for anyone? Feels terrible, right? It feels horrible. It's like, hey, what in the world? That's what Jesus felt for us. He took our burden. He took our sin. He took our shame. He was driven. He was separated from the Father. And the means by our atonement is that blood that was sacrificed by the first goat. The the result of our atonement was our sins being laid on that second goat. That's what Jesus did for us. He washed us of our sins. He gave us the forgiveness that we did not have. Let's go on, verse 11. Now this is where it gets real. John doesn't hold any punches. He doesn't pull any of his punches. He says, beloved, dear children. He says, the ones that I have relationship with, that I have preached the gospel to. John pastored in Ephesus for years and years. Did you know that? He was writing to a church that he had pastored for years and years. He says, dear children, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now think of John in his 90s writing this to the church of Ephesus. Think of John, and he's giving them the very best before he goes to be with the Lord. And what does he do? He reminds them of the nature of the Father. He reminds them of the atoning sacrifice of the Son. And he reminds them, if God so loved you, you also ought to give that love to one another. Amen? Now, there are many ways the New Testament tells us to give this love to one another. In, John, in 1 John chapter 3, John says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. He says, And if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart toward him, how can the love of God be inside of him? So we are called to love with our possessions. I think of Matthew 18. We're called to love by forgiving. 
It's the parable of the servant that wouldn't forgive, though he had been forgiven millions and millions of dollars. The equivalent of what he was forgiven was millions of dollars by his master. Yet one came up that owed him about fifteen to $20,000 in our money's standards. And that wicked servant would not forgive that person of the small debt, though he had just been forgiven a very, very large debt. And Jesus says this in the parable. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? Because there's something so beautiful in giving mercy. It is the character and nature of the Father. We're called to love as Mike did such a good job bringing us into last week. We're called to love the one in front of us. It's the testimonies that Josh was giving last week. It's just the one that God puts in front of us. It's that lawyer saying, how can I get everlasting life, eternal life? He says, keep the two commandments. And the lawyer says, yeah, but who's my neighbor? It says in Luke 10, trying to trick him. And Jesus said, oh, I got a good answer for you. Your neighbor that you are called to love as yourself is the one you find in front of you on the road. It's that person that you don't pass by. It's that person that you give your love to. Now, we were challenged by this last week. I was challenged by this personally last week. I've been challenged by this in the past. This, that parable of the Good Samaritan is really what helped me in our story with adoption kind of step in to uh, the inconvenient ministry of adoption. How many of you have adopted children? It's kind of inconvenient. How many of you have foster children before? It's kind of inconvenient, right? And my wife was just, her heart was filled with, it's time for us to adopt, and we have four children, and they're like six years old and under, and I'm going, what are we talking about? But she's a woman filled with faith. And, and, but, but the Lord had really been speaking this to her, and she's bringing this before me. I really feel like it's time. And I remember the Lord taking me to Luke 10, and the Lord just revealing to me, I'm putting this adoption before you. This is the next thing in your path to love me well, Marcus. And it really helped me surrender to this idea of the money it was going to cost, of the, of the travel that it was going to cost, of the years that it was going to cost. But it's that one that was on the road that was in need, that needed shelter, that needed the oil on their wounds, that needed the provision. So that's a big way I was challenged by that. But I've also been challenged by this in this past week in, in a small way. Um, last week... You know, we're all at the altar, compelled by love. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a reconciler, you know. And we had just had a, a long weekend uh, here at the church. We had our, our fervent 24 prayer initiative to where we did 24 hours of prayer from 7 p.m. Friday to 7 p.m. Saturday. And so I'd been there Friday night. I got up early morning and, and was there all day Saturday. I didn't do, you know, I, I don't have anything on the ones who did the night watch and we're here for like 36 hours. Some of them were here for 36 hours. Pastor Ray, I think, was up for like 42 hours or something like that. 
It was fun to talk to her right at the end. <laughs> I was just messing with her. I was like, now you, now you know, like, tomorrow we have this. And she's like, we do? And I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Blessed are the persecuted. Anyway. But I'd had a long weekend, Friday night, all day Saturday, into Sunday morning, early morning here, preparing for worship, leading the teams, doing ministry time. Ministry time went a little long at the, at the uh, uh, second service, and, which, which was wonderful. But, and then I found myself getting home a little later, and I had some time to, uh, to go to the gym right afterwards. So, so I've had a long weekend, and then I go to the gym, work out, I'm done, okay? Go into the sauna for maybe like 10, 15 minutes, I'm gonna go home, be with my family. And there's this man in the sauna. And he, he's just, he's talking, he's very like, talking. I was done talking, and he was just talking with anyone that came in. And he's talking with one person, that person leaves. His tractor beam sets on me. He says, hey man, what do you do? And I was just like, no, 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 no. Do I lie? No, I can't lie. That's not, oh. And I just say, you know, I would just, just, it just, the whisper, it's just like the plead with the Lord. I'm like, no, I'm a pastor. No. You know, because that opens up a lot of interesting conversations when you tell people that. And it did. He was like, oh, yeah, man, that's good. I'm Irish Catholic and da 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 da. And so he goes into this story, and I, nothing, nothing in me wants to have a conversation with this person. Nothing. I have my Bluetooth headphones around my neck, and I'm just like, I'm putting these in, and I'm ignoring this guy, you know? Oh, but then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, that Mike had to lay on us, compelled by love, controlled by love, just pops into my head. And... And though, like, it's popping in my head and I'm knowing this is like, oh no, I think this is one of those times, the inconvenient ministry. Inside, I'm like, no. But I just begin to give myself to it and I say, okay, Lord, what do you have here? And it was more like this, okay, Lord, what do you have here, you know? (laughs) But the prayer went up and the answer came. And the Holy Spirit just said, just listen to him. And so I, I felt that in my spirit. It wasn't like this clear, audible voice. I just felt that in my spirit. Just listen to him. And I just felt this peace all of a sudden that I didn't have to answer this guy's theological questions. That I, as a pastor, could just listen to him. Though we did get into a theological conversation. But he... And I just begin to ask questions and just draw him out a little bit. And it turns out he's a recovering drug addict. And it turns out he's on his last 25 whatever cc's or milligrams of, of, of methadone. And he started at like 150. And I just had this like encouragement in my heart that rose up. I said, good job, man. I said, that must be very tough. And he goes, oh, 
it is tough, you know? And I just began to show him love. And by this time, I had like transitioned in my heart, like I've, I've accepted what I'm doing right now, you know? And, and, uh, and I just, what welled up in my heart was like, I asked him his name and I learned his name. What welled up in my heart was, I'm, Darwin, I'm going to pray for you for those last 25, uh, again, cc's or milligrams, I, I forget which one it is, but for those last 25 things of methadone, that you get through this and you come out on the other side. I was like, I'm going to actively be praying for you. And he said, thank you. And, and that was the end of the exchange, and I needed to go, and I shook hands, and now we know each other, and I'm, I'm praying for him just kind of as I walk out of the gym and drive home. Forget about it. Completely forget about it. That night, I have a dream. And in my dream, I'm face-to-face with him, and in my dream, I know that he's oppressed by darkness. And in my dream, I speak to him, and I say, be delivered in the name of Jesus. And the demons come out. And so, I mean, it's good, but that hasn't happened yet. There's still like, a, you know. But had I not had the conversation, and had I not just prayed for him on the way out, I know I wouldn't have had that dream at night. And so, the next day, it wasn't the next day, I wish I work out that often, it was a few days later. The, the next time, I see him. He's in the, he's in the, uh, uh, the dressing room, and, and my heart's just open to him. And I say, hey, Darwin, how you doing? And he goes, hey, pastor, I'm doing good. So now the rumor is <laughs> growing around the gym. And I have a short conversation with him. It's again, it's on my exit, so I'm walking out, and I just pray for him again. And, the Lord, and I'm praying about the dream now. Lord, when are you going to give opportunity? When are you going to give? And how do you come up to someone and say you're filled with demons? Like, that's tough. You know what I mean? So I'm like, it's probably not that, you know? There's probably a relationship that needs to be built here with this guy. And, but I have a strategy now. I know how to pray. And the Lord even spoke to me as I was walking out of the gym of some phrases I can use in his life. And I wrote those down and I'm just, I'm just praying for this guy. And I think it can be that simple sometimes, guys. Now, sometimes we get in those situations and it's, it's powerful right away. And I've experienced those times. But I want to talk about those times that are just a little more natural. How can we use our spheres of influence? How can we use the encounter with the love of God that we have and that we know and it's real and bring others into that relationship? So, we're out of time, and we're done, but, oh, I didn't even get to the last verse. we got to get the last verse, perfected by love. I didn't even get to the verse. Okay, here we go. We're not done. Give me two minutes. Verse 12. So again, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to show the same love to one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected and brought to maturity or made complete in us. 
Now, we've encountered God's love, guys. But John says, the world has not seen God. But if you love others the way that you have experienced his love, John is basically saying, the world sees God through your life. God is abiding in you. They are encountering God. And in this, the love that the Father manifested in public through his Son, the love that Jesus gave us through the atoning work of his sacrifice, the love through you reaching out your hand, through you reaching, giving your finances, is completed. It's made perfect in the earth. It's manifested fully. That is amazing. That we have that opportunity, that we are given that place of privileged position to perfect the love of God or to bring to people to the full awareness of the love of God. That should cause us to just think of our lives with greater sobriety and to think of the spheres that the Lord has given us with compassion and to ask the Lord to begin to use us. Amen. Can we stand? I want to do two things. First, I just want us to ask the Lord to use us to manifest his love. You might be going from here to a, to a function. There's something coming up in the week that the Holy Spirit puts on your mind, your coworkers, those on the street that actually are asking you for physical provision, that we would just ask the Lord to use us this week to manifest his love in the earth, to perfect his love in the earth. It says this perfect love drives out fear. And I would argue when John says that in, in verses earlier, that it's experiencing the love from God that he has for us and manifesting that love to others. Those two, it says, drive out the fear of punishment and the fear of torment when we stand before his throne. They actually give us assurance of our salvation. That's what John is saying here. When we're walking in perfected love. So let's just lift our hands to heaven just for a second. Just say, Lord, use me to manifest your love. And just let the Holy Spirit bring thoughts to your mind right now. And just pray into them. Lord, use me to manifest your love to my children. Lord, use me to manifest your love to the unlovable. I'm just thinking of Matthew 25. When, Lord, were you hungry? and we gave you food? When were you thirsty and we gave you drink? When were you naked and we clothed? When were you in prison and we came to visit? When were you sick and we ministered? When you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Lord, give us love for the least of these. 
stir our hearts right now with love for the least of these. Feel like the Lord encouraging us. It's not our part to know the end of the story. It's just our part to step in and to show the love of the Father. He's the author of the end of the story. <sighs> the other thing I want to do before we leave is that if you have never known the love of God through Jesus Christ and you want to give your life to serving Jesus, to encountering Jesus. If you want to give your life and experience the love God has for you. We're going to have our ministry teams down at the front and I want to encourage you to come up and give your life to Jesus. One who gave all for you. One who has washed you of your sins. Accept his forgiveness this morning. The other thing I want to call is those who feel that they have been running away from God in this season and want to return to the love that God has for you through His Son. Ministry team, why don't you just come down to the front? And I just want us to, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message of love. So let's all bow our heads while we pray. And if that's you and you want to respond to the saving love of God through Jesus Christ, I want you to come down to the front. Lord, right now, we thank you for your love. And we ask you that you would fill our hearts with love for you. And you would give us grace to love others as you have loved us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You are dismissed. If that's you and you want to give your life to the Lord, please come down to the front and pray with one of our ministry team down here in our dismissal. We'll be down here for a while, okay? Good. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.